Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of the Providence Journal's College Basketball Podcast. This is Bill Koch, sports writer for the Journal, in my Warwick home on a lovely, record-breaking Friday afternoon. Warm temperatures out there. Uh, get outside if if you can, if you are listening to this immediately after we record, and uh, enjoy a beautiful day uh, here in February. Uh, I'm joined by my usual co-conspirators. First, the sports director at ABC6. The weekend co-host of Cordishi and Coit on WEI Providence, Nick Coit, ladies and gentlemen, Coity, how we living? Hey, Bill. Uh, I, I tell you, it is it's the epitome of New England when we have a record-breaking day on this side of things. And last Friday, I don't think I've put on that many layers in a long, long time. When I walked out 6 a.m. on Saturday morning to go to the radio show, uh, it was negative 11 on my phone. And it was incredible. In New England is, I love it. It's incredible. But my goodness, the extremes. Unreal. 75 degrees apart. There's no other place like it, for sure. Uh, also joined by the sports director of WPRI and Fox Providence, Maury Hirsch-Gordon. Maury, how we doing, babe? Gentlemen, good to be back, as always. Uh, no need to go to the simulator if, you're, uh, if you want to swing the sticks today. The greens are probably open. I mean, it, it would be a nice day to play golf, that's for sure. Uh, you know, you wonder about course conditions, obviously, but um, the weather is is up for it. Uh, it does not feel like the last full month of, of college basketball re- regular season, but here we are. Uh, I, I suppose we'll take it. Um, and we are recording this on Friday afternoon. Maury is in transit to New York City uh, on his iPhone. He's headed down to watch the Friars play St. John's in a noon tip on Saturday. Um, and in my mind, guys, it's, it's a dress rehearsal for the Big East Tournament. I think that game comes at a great time. The Friars will get a little taste of Madison Square Garden, uh, get a little taste of New York City and, and the atmosphere there. Um, you know, obviously last year didn't quite go the way they wanted it to in New York um, after a great regular season. And I would imagine that they're going to want to put that right uh, when they go back about a month from now, uh, they're coming off a bye and their latest win at home against Georgetown, seventy-four, sixty-two. Um, you know, guys, this this was you know, it was it was pretty standard in my mind. Providence could have won by more. They sort of big brother Georgetown in this game. I don't think they were ever seriously threatened. Um, you know, but it's a game that they needed to win if you want to continue to contend for a conference title. It, it's one of those that you just have to take care of business and. I think Saturday falls in the same category. I would say so too. And I, I don't underestimate the impact of, you know, going to Madison square garden and getting that dress rehearsal. It, there was a few year stretch there where they would go down. They would played St. John's like the last game of the season. I can't remember how many years it was, but they always seem to get that game right before the big East tournament. This to me is close enough. Like you're going to go down there. You're going to go through the whole routine, um, especially for a squad like this where you've got Jared Bynum, Ed Croswell, Alan Breed that have played there, that have been a part of the Big East tournament. The rest of the guys, this is a different thing. And so to be able to go down there, get the feel for it, I'm sure there's gonna this is going to be a well-traveled game, uh, you know, because it's an easy drive as Maury is making right now. And so, you know, you'll kind of get that feel for it. And, I, yeah, I don't underestimate that. Um, as for the Georgetown game, yeah, it's exactly what you'd expect. Um, you know, the Friars came out and, um, you know, that run in the first half, they go on one of those stretches, one of those runs where they're really pushing the pace. 
you know, defense is turning into offense. They kind of, you know, strong arm Georgetown in a couple of stretches and they just kind of kept them at bay. And, you know, on a team like Georgetown, it's just the defense is just not there. It's it's tough to stop, you know, all the weapons that that Providence can put on the floor. A lot of the guys played well. And so, um, yeah, it was what I expected. And, you know, with with the St. John's team, very talented, too, as we saw at the Amp, you know, a little while ago. But, you know, can they be disciplined enough to take down Providence? You know, I'm not sure. And if Providence plays up to its capability, this is the game they should take care of, too. Yeah, it's a little little bit of a scary one in terms of that. You know, just St. John's not really playing for much if they decide to to wake up on the right side of the bed on Saturday morning and they, they decide to put it together. We saw what they they did. Uh, I think they were at XL when they beat UConn uh, not too long ago, January. So um, definitely as talented as any team in the conference, uh, especially individually. If, if it comes together collectively, that's where – you know, things could get hairy, but uh, Providence would still be a, a heavy favorite. Uh, I haven't seen the line if it's out yet. Uh, but I, 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 you know, put it that it's probably would be close to double figures. I'm sure Koch, uh, Koch has it. But, yeah, as far as the Georgetown game, um, nothing pretty. Like, metrics-wise, it's not going to be great for their numbers. But that's all you had to do. All you have to do is just make sure you pick up the win. Just don't, don't fall in the pothole. Don't hit a speed bump and stay on pace. Uh, and now they're one game back in first place with seven to play. Yeah, you know, for me, Georgetown, I I, I watched a fair bit of it, and you know, I, it was over at halftime, really, in my mind. And, and you saw what Providence did in the first half; they committed three turnovers. They're thirteen to three in points off turnovers. They're twenty-two to ten on points in the paint. And in my mind, it's just when you're focused and you're disciplined like that against a team that is not as good as you are you're going to take care of business. It's really that simple. So I applaud, uh, you know, their mental preparation for that game more than anything else. Uh, you know, I think it, it's natural to have a letdown against a team that's at the bottom of your league. And, you know, really that's what you're playing against on Saturday. Uh, St. John's has lost five out of six. This would be a tighter spread than than people expect. Maureen, Ken Palm only has it at three, which wow. is a little bit of a surprise. I think it's a reflection of the fact that, St. John's by the numbers should be better than their record. Um, yeah. You know, they're four and 10 in the league. Uh, you know, their only win in their last six games was Georgetown at home and they won by two. Um, you know, their last time out, they threw away a game at Butler down the stretch, uh, you know, took a last second shot just after the horn, didn't get it off. Um, you know, but it is a talented group. As Coit said, we saw that at the amp earlier this year, they gave Providence a, a pretty good push in the second half. Um, you know, but this is a game that, you know, the Friars should be looking to take care of. Ideally, they're not overlooking this one to Creighton on Valentine's Day, which is a huge showdown at the top of the league uh, at the Amp and a game where Providence needs to get a season split against the Blue Jays. Uh, you know, that one will be really important next Tuesday night. Um, you know, but for me, I, I look at the Friars and, you know, they've got all the pieces put together. Jared Bynum is, has been reintegrated into the rotation, and, and I think he's come in pretty seamlessly. Um, you know, starting to feel a little better, play more minutes. Uh, you know, Ed Croswell playing major minutes the last two or three games. He's really coming on here, second half of the conference schedule. Um, you know, but otherwise, they're they're just ticking on, on pretty much all cylinders at this point. I'm really impressed with with Ed Croswell. Um, and uh, you, you guys saw it as I did. We were walking into practice. What was it? Monday. And 
I think this is no small little peek behind the curtain kind of thing. Like we're walking to the practice facility and Ed is on the floor and, you know, he's getting a full workout in before Providence has its actual practice. And he walks over, says hello to all of us. And he's got, he's broken out in a full on sweat. And then he goes in and again, he has a full practice with the team. And that to me is just like, it's a tone setter. When you have a veteran guy like that, that's putting in that kind of work. I think everybody walks by it, everybody sees it, and everybody's like, oh, well, if he's working that hard, this is this is what I should be doing, or this is where I should be putting in the work. You know, that I should be putting an extra time like this. It's just when you have leaders like that in your program, that's why it didn't surprise me that they come out and they would take care of business against a Georgetown like that, because they have guys that are just putting in the work, putting in the work and you know, I, I wonder maybe some of the, you know, some of the urgency comes from, hey, you know, his Providence career is starting to be numbered, you know, with the number of games that are left, wants to leave it all out there, doesn't want to, you know, leave any stone unturned, that sort of thing in terms of his work. And so, you know, I, I applaud it. And that's why I think you've established the culture that you have with this program. He has turned into a really, really efficient offensive player, like just knows his spots. Uh, I think that was one of the biggest question marks going into the year was obviously replacing Nate Watson down low um, and, and the way that he was able to uh, impact the game, draw defenses. And Ed Croswell has been just as good as, as Nate Watson was last year. I mean, he, he knows the spots he can with both hands. Um, you know, nothing ever looks pretty, uh, but, uh, but Ed Cooley don't care. You know, as long as that ball goes through the rim, he puts it up there softly. And also, you should mention his free throw numbers. Like, for the season, I think I don't have the average. I think it's anything outstanding. But the game against UConn, I believe, he was like 9 of 10 from the line. And he works on his free throws all the time. And he knows he's going to get clobbered down there. So he's going to have opportunities. He's been He's been really good to the point. And I've been beating this drum on, on Twitter. Like, he deserves to be talked about as one of the best big men in the league. And he's on the short list of being most improved player, in my opinion, especially when you factor in team success. And if Providence can finish first or second in the league, he's got to have as good of a chance to win that as anybody. Yeah, in terms of foul shooting, it's a good point. Last year, he had limited attempts at the line. He was 56%. This year, he's up to 65.5, which... You know, granted, you, you still want to see better, but he's taken a big jump in, in that way. It's obvious he's put in work on it. Um, and you consider his his first year at Providence, he was five for 21 in, in limited action. Uh, you know, so you're talking about a guy who was, you know, basically a mid 50 shooter for his career at LaSalle and, and you know, last season at PC uh, has really picked it up, um, you know, and and. I think he's just the ultimate low maintenance guy. I don't think you need to run offense for him. I don't think he makes any demands in terms of I want the ball and I need X amount of shots. He, he's just no frills. I'll go get it off the glass. If you want to pass it to me, I'll lay it in. You know, that's cool. Uh, at the end of the game, I'll take my 13 and eight and go home. Um, you know, and that, that's he fits in well with this team. Because other guys can score it. You know, Bynum can go score. Locke can take the shots. Bryce Hopkins is going to get his shots. Uh, you know, Devin Carter is going to take it to the rim every once in a while. Croswell's content to clean up. And in that way, he's a terrific teammate. Um, you know, not only in terms of playing style, but in terms of attitude. He he fits into this group very, very well. Um, you know, nice kid off the floor, too. You, you like to see 
someone like that be successful. Uh, and and that's what he's done, taking over for you know, really one of the best players of Providence in the last 20, 25 years, and that was Nate Watson. Um, you know, so Providence going into St. John's, uh, having dealt with the the shell of Georgetown. Uh, you know, obviously I wrote about that earlier in the week to uh, considerable fanfare from the Providence supporters. Uh, quite a few didn't get past the headline. Um, you know, the, the piece was actually uh, intended to show that Georgetown cannot hire Ed Cooley at this point, um, that it would be extremely unlikely for him to go there, uh, you know, and that 20 years ago that would not have been the case. Uh, and, and I just think, quite simply, that's a credit to Providence's administration the fact that they've made their job so much more attractive, uh, so much more capable of winning in this new Big East at a high level. Um, you know, and the fact that that Ed right now in his second decade at PC is cementing his legacy at this point. Uh, you know, I said to him in practice the other day, uh, you know, your name's going to be on buildings and, and on libraries and you're going to have a statue on campus one day. And he said, I just want to be Ed. I don't care about any of that stuff. And I said, well, that's fine, but other people are going to celebrate you when, when this is over, uh, you know, and a lot of it is because of what's happening right now. And, uh, you know, I, I look at the Friars and I think that, you know, they're right there with Creighton and, and Marquette and Xavier at the top of the league. And, you know, I see them as being able to stay there so long as they continue what they've done the last two years philosophically, um, so long as they keep that staff intact. It, it's very tight. Um, you know, very efficient, uh, works at a great level, whether it's recruiting the portal, recruiting high school players, developing players, uh, you know, scheduling, uh, game planning, you know, making tweaks on the fly. Um, it's just a really cohesive organization. That's, that's the word Ed uses a lot of time, you know, Providence's organization and, and who they are from top to bottom. And, and he's, he's overseeing something really special right now. Well, and I think too this year it'll be different in terms of the the way that they played the transfer portal. You know, obviously we get the turnover from last year's Sweet 16 team to this year. Going into next year, you know, you went into the portal and you got younger guys that are going to be able to that had college experience that are contributing right away. Devin Carter, Bryce Hopkins, guys like that. Even a Corey Floyd has really come on recently here in Big E's play, and you get them for you know, at least another season or two. Um, I say that, you know, with Hopkins in mind, because I just, you know, obviously the talent uh, at some point, I, you know, I, I think we're going to be talking about Bryce Hopkins as a, as a guy that's going to be on some, some pro radar here. Um, you know, but those guys like there's, there's time there. They have eligibility is the point. And so it's not like this off season, you're going to have to go into the transfer portal and have a whole new roster again. You know, you've got guys that, you know, can be around the program here um, and help you keep that culture where it is, bring in some younger players. You've been recruiting, obviously, you know, some incoming freshmen, guys that you can develop there. And then you may go back into the portal and fill out your roster there too. So it's, I mean, and they've played it so well and they've just, they have a culture. It's set. You're seeing it on the floor. One year is one thing. Last year was a wonderful team, a wonderful run. Now we're talking about two years here where we're talking about them at the top of the Big East and the style that they're playing and all of that. Now recruits are looking at it. Guys in the game are looking at it and saying, well, if I go there, I get to play like that. I get to play for this team. I get to play in that arena. I get to be around that program. 
that's pretty cool. That's attractive to me. And I think a lot of guys are saying that now. And it's it's a credit to the coaching staff and the organization that has been built and the, the administration too. Let's not forget them and the fact that they put in so much support there, uh, you know, to, to back up Ed Cooley and his staff. Yeah. When you, when you back it up that second year, it's no longer just a blip on the radar. It's no longer just a, a one-off. Uh, it, it carries a lot more weight than you can do it a second time. Uh, and now going forward, there shouldn't be a single recruit out there uh, coming from high school, coming from JUCO, coming from the college ranks in the portal that, that wouldn't want to look at Providence uh, and play in the Big East and play in the atmosphere. Here's that they play in and, and be coached like believe. You know, this could really turn into, you know, it's a bigger conversation, you know, one we could discuss in the offseason, but, you know, let this season finish out. It could be the next five to seven, maybe full decade of, you know, a true renaissance for, for this program. Yeah, they're, they're in a place that they've rarely been before, uh, certainly not in recent years, you know, playing at the top of the league in, in back-to-back seasons, uh, you know, and that continues on Saturday, uh, you know, want to throw some flowers at, at Bryce Hopkins. He's named to the Naismith midseason watch list, top 30 players in the nation, also named to the Carl Malone watch list, the top power forward in the country. He's among 10 guys on that. Uh, another name on the Naismith list that we saw, guys, Tyler Kolick, top 30 player in the nation at the midseason uh, in conference. And when you consider how good he's been for Marquette, how they've played and outperformed expectations preseason. Um, the fact that he is at uh, he is triggering one of the most efficient offenses in the nation and playing so well at the point guard position. Uh, you know, I, I know we've talked about him before on the pod, but the fact that he's a top thirty player in the country right now this season. Uh, I mean, that story just continues to get better and better. I, I've we've gushed about it before. I've gushed about it. I've put his name in the conversation for Big East Player of the Year. He's also in the uh, a finalist for the Koozie Award that came out this week too, yeah. uh, which is a, a heck of an honor. And I, you know, that pops into my head because guys, last night I watched the Netflix documentary on uh, on Bill Russell. It's very good. Oh, it's very good. Fabulous. A lot of Koozie, yeah. a lot of Koozie in there. And I'll I'll just say I love that Bob Koozie calls Auerbeck Arnold instead of Red. Yes, Arnold. He always calls him Arnold. Arnold. It's yes, Arnold. It's very very funny. But anyways. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that's a uniquely New England Celtics fan thing. Yeah, Celtics are <laughs> the balls. Um, and <laughs> but but yeah, I mean Tyler has had uh, a tremendous year, tremendous season. Uh, he's grown so much as a player, and it's it it really the the story, like you said, it keeps getting better and better. And you know this the sky's the limit. Like, is it, is it too far-fetched at this point to talk about, like, the G League and a two-way contract, potentially the NBA? Like, he's got the size at 6'3". He's not 5'10". He's not 5'11". And he's got, you know, obviously great instincts and great passing ability, and he's a leader. It's He's going to play himself into, into, you know, a potential two-way deal, um, I think, if, if he wants to, uh, down, down the line. His shooting's gotten, gotten better. Uh, and he's obviously on one of the best teams in the country. So he's going to have a chance to work out for some teams whenever he decides to leave. But, you know, for now, I mean, he was so right at Big East Media Day when he when he had some expletives and some choice words about being picked ninth at the conference because uh, they've gone from preseason ninth at the conference to ninth in the country. I think this week they're at 10th. So, uh, yeah, impressed by him, he's – 
he's he's their engine. Yeah, I don't I don't remember seeing him on any uh, preseason All Big East teams either. I, I think that will change a month from now uh, when we are all at Madison Square Garden see the postseason team unveiled. Uh, you would imagine that that he's going to be there along with Bryce Hopkins and Sule Boom and Adama Sonogo and uh, you know you could take your pick on a fifth guy. I'm I'm sure I'm blanking on somebody you know Kalk Brenner or. You know, Baylor Shireman or somebody along those lines, uh, you know, stand to reason that Creighton might get a guy on that postseason five uh, or ten or however many they pick in the Big East. I have no idea. Um, you know, but it we, we've we got multiple storylines to track when we do go to the Garden in a, a month from now. And, uh, you know, that will certainly be one of them. Uh, also looks like we could be on the road with the URI women, um, you know, because if they continue to go the way they are right now, uh, they can make a little bit of history of their own. Uh, their most recent win, 64-47 over George Washington on Wednesday night. Uh, they are 20-3, and 11-10, and 11-0 in, uh, in the Atlantic 10. Um, consecutive 20-win seasons for the first time in program history. Uh, the 100th game for Tammy Reese, she is 66-34 and 34 in Kingston. To put that in perspective, from 1975 until she was hired, they were more than 300 games under 500. Uh, so what she has done at a place that had a 37% winning percentage previously to go 66 and 34 and have them on the brink of an NCAA tournament for the second straight year, have them playing for a conference championship regular season for the second straight year. It, it's nothing short of remarkable. Uh, and, and it continues. It's amazing. Uh, and it's, uh, again, we talk about Ed Cooley with Providence and and players buying in on a coach and its culture and everything that's established with a staff that comes in. And Tammy has done this the same. She has established a culture. She has told you straight up, okay, if you're going to play for me, this is what I expect of you. This is what our expectations are going to be down here. And the reason is these are our goals. And she sticks to it. And it, it stuck out to me earlier this season Remember they had that victory. Uh, I can't remember which game it was that they won, but she said like, yeah, okay, it was great to win, but we couldn't guard my mother tonight. And then they go out, I think it was against Buffalo and they, you know, give up however many points, you know, it was a low, low number. And she said, well, you know what, tonight mom would have had a you know tough time scoring. And I think that was one of the great quotes of the season, obviously, but it just goes to show you that, you know, she has high expectations for her players. Her players are buying into you know, what she is you know, putting out there and it's showing on the floor and the kind of talent that she's bringing in. She hit the transfer portal hard too, uh, which is, cut. you know, if you're at the, the top of the curve of the transfer portal, we're seeing with these programs around here, you're going to get great talent that's experienced. That's going to be able to help you right away because that's another team that had a lot of names, a lot of uh, players that were leading the program last year leave. And there's different players stepping up this year. Obviously, Maya Torre has been a beast, um, you know, but, you know, some there's somebody different every night. You know, I know Emma Squires had that big shot against St. Joseph's in double OT that helped them win that one. And that was another, you know, player that transferred in that had a lot of college experience. Like, you know, and then Enos Debra the other night has an incredible shot. Incredible. Um, you know, but all of that being said, it's just it's a culture thing. And the culture's been established. And when you have a night where your coach says after the game, you know, we got a lot of honors this week, and I was worried, are we going to be a little slow? You know, let it get to our heads, whatever. And if that didn't happen, 
that to me is like, this is a team that's locked in, it's focused, and that's a credit to the coach and the staff. Yeah, it's, it's easy to go in the portal and get talent. It's also uh, it's way more impressive to get talent and then get the players that fit your culture uh, and fit and fit what you're trying to build when you when you're still building. Um, you know, it's not like she's been here for ten years and she knows what works yet. You know, she's still doing it on the fly as a first time head coach here in year four. Um, yeah, she's been been really impressive, and I think. She, she mentioned this uh, after the win the other night against George Washington, um, just about coming back from the game against Davidson, uh, squeaking, squeaking out that game and then coming in with, uh, you know, with true purpose and, and beating a team that, that's you know, really talented, that's been, you know, near the top of the A-10 for a long time, like an established program. Uh, and then you see it with the attendance numbers. Uh, as those attendance numbers just continue to rise, and they had a, a nice crowd down there on Wednesday. And, um yeah, it's just uh, it's it's like deja vu. Every time we talk about this team on this podcast, it's like we say the same thing, but that's what they deserve. Like that's what happens when you win eleven straight games, and you know, really, no team in the conference, you know, has has come like that close to beating them. You know, save for maybe a couple games. Um, but if you play series against all those teams, you know, your eye probably wins six, seven, eight, maybe nine times out of ten. Uh, most of these squads, if, if they were to play them like that. So uh, they got a few left here. They got to finish the job. Couple, a couple big games left to end the regular season. Um, but yeah, right now they're, they're fighting for seeding. Uh, and if you're, if you're, you know, if you don't follow the women's NCAA tournament as closely as the men, um, or if you listen to this podcast and uh, you, know, you haven't had a team to root for in the women's tournament, the first weekend is at the, this, the site of the higher seed. So by avoiding that 13 seed, you avoid having to play a true road game in your first game. And I know I obviously talk about the my experience with my alma mater, Quinnipiac, when they made the Sweet 16 as a 12 seed. They were only the fourth 12 seed to ever make the Sweet 16 at the time, five years ago. Um, but by getting a 12, you'll play at the site of the four seed and you'll play a neutral court game against the five. And right now, they are on that 12 line. They were on the 13 line a few weeks ago. By jumping up to 12, it makes the world of a difference when you're trying to pick off a team as a lower seed. Yeah, I think I saw last it was 12, and it was uh, the site was Tallahassee. And so, yeah, if you can <laughs> if you can avoid things there in Tallahassee, then, yeah, you, you feel better about a neutral site game. It's a great point. Yeah, excellent point. And, and obviously, you know, it goes to the structure of the women's NCAA tournament. They do sort of stack the deck uh, against the lower seeds. Um, you know, if you can only imagine what the men's coaches would have to say if they had to play road games in the NCAA tournament. I, I mean, the, the whining would be from here to kingdom come. Uh, <laughs> it would be unbelievable. Um, you know, but I, I, I think you guys make great points in terms of, you know, how Tammy has built this particular team. Uh, you look at players like Emma Squires, Madison Haddix, Covington, Sayani Lassiter, all grad transfers, all could have spent their last year in college wherever they wanted. Um, you know, they're, you know, you look at someone like uh, Lassiter who's coming in from Rutgers, you know, played at a very high level. Uh, you know, Haddix Covington was a uh, a starter at VCU, someone who who would have been coveted, uh, you know, out there and, and could have been like a seventh or eighth player on a power five team. Um, you know, Squires is a shooter at Richmond. You know, and everyone's looking for an extra shooter, uh, had a marketable skill there, could have, you know, had no shortage of options. And Tammy Reese managed to get all of them. 
uh, you know, and 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 has rebuilt this quickly. Uh, you know, you look at what she lost last year. You're talking the majority of their scoring, the majority of their rebounding, uh, you know, the majority of their minutes. They really didn't go much more than six or seven deep. Uh, and now they've, they've got, you know, options on this roster. She's got a legitimate bench. She's got backups at every position. Um, you know, she's got efficient starters. They shoot the ball well. They can score. Uh, Tori is the most improved player in the league and, and might be the player of the year in the league. You know, she's going to be on the short list for it. Uh, both at the same time, she's emerged as a star, uh, you know, and I, I just, I, I just, I mean, I can't get over the fact that, that this is just so different from what it's been there. Um, you know, the fact that this has changed so much that, that this is a program with very little in the way of history, um, you know, and certainly it's recent history before Tammy came, you know, they were a struggler, um, you know, so to see them doing what they're doing now, going into uh, a Sunday tip at VCU and then a huge game next week against UMass, uh, a, a game that if they're able to win it at the Ryan Center next Thursday, um, would pretty much lock up the conference championship and, and a number one seed uh, at their tournament in Delaware on the first weekend of March. Um, it's just such a change and, and so much for the better. Yeah. Um, by the way, I just looked at it again. They updated it after I looked at it. I had my morning coffee, looked at it. They updated it. Uh, they're still on the 12 line, but now they're at Villanova. So a little Philly action there for you there, Maury. Yeah, interesting. You'd have to think Villanova, and I don't think UConn would split to a three where the 11, if you got up to the 11 seed, you'd get in. Mm. Um, that would be quite a fall for the Husky. But uh, those are probably the two closest sites uh, off the yeah. top of my head for uh, for. But regardless of where they go, there's going to be a lot of people that want to follow them just because it'll be the first time in so long that they're back in the dance. It's fun. It's it's just fun. You know, it's fun to have a team like this. And you're right. I think the UMass game obviously is is the big one, Bill, because they get over that hump. Um, you know, then they're they're talking about conference championship. They're talking about top seeding, and then you know they're talking about a goose egg in a certain column that matters here as we get closer and there's five games left in the a 10 schedule you know schedule gets really hard down the stretch you at vcu who's having a little bit of a down year but they're always a competitive team and the seagull center is, is not a comfortable place to go men or women um you know then you have umass at home who, who's right behind you with one loss you beat them on the road they're going to be hungry in that game um then you got road games with fordham and with st joe's and, and obviously fordham is in the top four in the standing, St. Joe's pushed you to the wire in double overtime. Uh, and then you have Dayton at home, your last game of the year. Um, you know, Dayton obviously down. Shauna Green went to Illinois. Um, you know, most of the players there transferred out. Uh, but URI has a miserable all-time record against Dayton. They they just don't beat them ever. Um, you know, so you're looking at a, a long losing streak against the Flyers that you'll be looking to snap in a, in a game of real consequence. Um, all the pressure will be on URI in that one. Uh, you know, Dayton's basically, you know, they have a free roll in, in that game. Um, you know, but down the stretch, if they're able to play the way they have to this point and maintain their composure, you, you certainly would think that URI would be able to at least get a share of this thing with UMass, uh, if not win it outright. And, and if they're able to do that, uh, it's no worse than an IT bid. You go to Delaware with a chance to get the auto bid uh, in the conference tournament. And and if the seedings do break their way, 
Um, if they are able to win out and win the conference tournament, they won't be any lower than a 12 for sure. They might jump up to the 11, uh, which means they could be playing pretty close to home, and, and that would be nice. Um, another team who's playing major games with postseason implications right now is Brown, and, and Brown ensured that last weekend by sweeping Dartmouth and Harvard on the road. Two big games. Uh, Maury was up at Leviathan's Pavilion with me on Saturday. Uh, to watch the Bears take care of the Crimson 68-65, a, a game that the first 12 minutes of the second half, Brown played as well as they have all season. Um, you know, and they got themselves right back into this Ivy League race at 5-4 and four, uh, with Cornell coming in for Saturday tip at 2 p.m. Um, you know, guys, I, I know we talked, you know, last podcast about how Brown was 3-4, and four, and, and those two games were basically going to define their season if they lost them both. They're probably going to be marooned and, and unable to come back. If you split them, that's fine, but you're sort of running out the clock on the year. You really need to make a major move, and they did it um, last weekend. And, and you know, the Harvard game especially, uh, you know, toward the end of the first half and then the start of the second half, they were just better and played really, really well, uh, you know, executing on offense, defending well, uh, you know, running Harvard off the three-point line, uh, you know, stopping them from scoring at the rim, which is something they did well in the first half. I, I was just really impressed by the mental toughness that they showed, um, you know, follow up a, a win at Dartmouth with another one they really needed at Harvard. I, I thought it was a really good sign for uh, for Mike Martin's group. Yeah, there's, there's a sense of urgency there, and there's a collectiveness that everybody's got to play well and play up to their potential if – Brown wants to win these games because they're short. They're short on, on, you know, some of their pieces, obviously with, you know, not, not having, you know, a, a lot of depth in the front court. We've talked about it. Um, you know, we've talked about it the last couple of podcasts, but I, I think it's really sort of become a, okay, everybody's got to step up here with, with the bears. And I think everybody has, you know, you, you lose a, a great young player in, in Kalu on you who hasn't been able to play, and Malachi Nadur, obviously, your depth there. Like, it's just everybody's had to step forward. And, you know, particularly a guy like Paxson Wojcik, we were talking about him, I think, last week on the podcast and just how great he's been all around for the Bears. Um, you know, <laughs> for, for some reason, like the image of Jake Taylor and Major League getting in the ice bath, uh, you know, after every game pops into my head with Paxson just because, like, after every game, he's just he looks like he's like red in the face and he's just like looks like he's just given like all this all out effort. But, you know, the stats show it, the win column showing it, um, you know, and particularly I think he's just he's a leader on this team. And, uh, you know, having a guy like that play as well as he has is uh, is important for the squad. So it's it's I think we've said it before. This is this is Mike's kind of team. Um, he really, you can tell, enjoys coaching this team because I think they're really bought in on what they're trying to do. Um, and they're really bought in on the fact that they have a shot here to get into the top four of the Ivy League. And to have a home game this weekend, it's huge. We know Cornell. We know the pace that they play with. You know, we know that they're going to try to speed things up. But Brown can play out with pace, too. And, you know, when Keno Lilly Jr. is being as efficient as he, as he has been offensively, um, I think it bodes well for Brown. and. So this is an important one this weekend. You you took care of business on the road. You jumped back up into the mix here with the two wins. Now you got to take care of your home games here because you're, you're limited in your home games. You've got Cornell here at home. Then you have a really tough weekend 
with the Penn and Princeton back to back. It is difficult. And, you know, I, I think you're probably going to have to get a, a split there, get one of those games. You did beat Princeton at home, which helped. Um, but it starts this weekend, starts with Cornell. You've had the week to prepare. You're at home. This is the game that they're, they're going to really want to get. Yeah, no doubt. And Paxson brought it up yesterday, uh, Thursday, availability. The weeks come around. And it's not just, you know, the same player. It's three different players. You had Nana Wusu and you had Kino Lilly Jr., and you have Paxson Motion. And the fact that it's been sustained over a three, four-week period um, is impressive as well. Like, this is Brown. Like, Brown isn't supposed to be where they're at right now, like, programmatically in the league. Like, you know, stuff like that's supposed to happen at Harvard and Penn and Princeton and Yale, teams with a little bit more history. Uh, the, the teams that have been at the top of the league are like Mike has done a really good job of bringing a lot of talent to Brown, uh, the right kind of talent and, and um, also young talent, right? Two of those three players are sophomores that, that will be on the East side for another two years. So um, as good of a position as they're in right now, uh, they also have, you know, a nice bright future ahead uh, with a nice little core to build around <clears throat> when you're talking about Guy in the backcourt, guy in the front court. You had a piece on the wing like Pluani when he comes back. Uh, the other one thing I wanted to mention uh, was was funny and definitely made me smile on Thursday. You know, Mike Martin opening up his uh, press conference with, you know, I checked the schedule and uh, you know nobody else is playing at home this weekend. You know, we try to sell the place out. Maybe people want to come over and uh, and and check us out because they and they deserve it. It's, it's the first time that they're going to play an Ivy League game with school in session. Um, you know, they had a, the, the heavy home slate was was before the students returned. So you should have a ton of students there. Um, there should be a good buzz. Brown, Cornell, two teams fighting for a top four spot in the Ivy League. And, oh, by the way, uh, PC's on the road and URI and Brian on the road and URI women are on the road. So uh, why not get over to the pits and, and check out Mike Martin's Brown Bears because, as he famously said, after Brown beat Bryant in Smithfield earlier this year, he said, "Don't forget, there are four teams in this state." So, and kudos to him that that here in mid February, his team's playing for some. Yeah, when they started zero and two in the league, it, it, it looked like they were going to, you know, looked like they were in some trouble. They're five and two since then. Um, they're on a really good run. Uh, you know, and and even in the face of some injuries here that that have really thinned out their front court depth, um, you know, Kaluanya has a left hand injury. I don't know when he's going to come back, if at all. Malachi Nandura had left knee surgery; he's out for the year. Um, and the guy who's really stepped up in their absence, guys, I think, is Dan Friday. And you know, I look at the Harvard game and the way he guarded Chris Ledlam. Um, you know, Ledlam was obviously in foul trouble as well, but you know, had thirteen points wasn't really a factor. And, and he's one of the better players in the league. And Friday is undersized in that matchup. But this was the guy who they recruited and, and the guy who I think they expected to see, um, you know, for the majority of his time here. Outside of, you know, his game at North Carolina last year, where he really scored the ball and played very well, I, I think this is one of his better performances in a Brown uniform. If you look at the box score and, and the amount of areas he was able to impact, you know, Ledlam is is five for eleven from the field. He doesn't go to the foul line. That's a pretty pedestrian night for him. Friday has ten points, eight rebounds, three assists, three steals. You know, just across the board made an impact in that game. And 
Yeah, I think they need you know, if if there's an X factor going forward. Obviously, Wojcik's the Ivy League Player of the Week, um, you know, and is playing the best basketball of his career. Uh, and Keno Lilly is going to give you what he gives you. Certainly, uh, I mean, he's a special talent. Um, Nana Wusuanane is also in that bracket, going to give you what he gives you. He's going to be consistent every night. But you need that fourth man to help you out, whether it's offensively, defensively, with some physicality, either on the perimeter or inside. And I think Dan Friday was that guy um, last Saturday, and I, I was really impressed by the way he played in that game. And if he's able to carry that forward, he he raises the ceiling for Brown going into its last few games of the year. Well, to Coy's point, like about Ed Croswell and and taking advantage of his opportunities as a guy gets older in his career, like that's Friday right now. Friday's been around the block. Like he's he's been with the program for a couple of years now. He he understands what what's needed of him and he goes, Okay, you know, a couple guys are out, we're on the road, you know, I gotta step up. And he has. He's he's going to be that's how the trash for Brown. You know what you're going to get, you know, from Osu and Ane and Wojcik and Willie Jr. But if Friday can be a Swiss Army of sorts, like you were just saying, Conch, in, in a number of different ways and a number of different roles, um, that's where, you know, Brown can then elevate itself and then sneak into that top four. Well, and he's got a bite to him too, guys. Like, it is, as, as strong as he is, which we see in terms of his defense and guarding Ledlam, which he did the first time around they played at Harvard too and did a pretty good job. He's got a bite. He's got an attitude. He, you, you hear some of the things that he's saying when he's playing the game, and it's like he's got that Detroit, Michigan, like I will fight you, <laughs> sort of attitude. And you know that's that that's a great mentality to have when you have to guard guys as a, as an undersized guy that that are bigger than you. And he's got the strength, and right now he's got the the performances to back it up. Yeah, they they generally don't. You know, soft players generally don't thrive in in Detroit. I, I can't imagine uh, that you could be a soft player and be a good high school player in Detroit. I, I don't think that flies. I, you know, I think the same thing in Philly or in New York or uh, you know, in in some other major cities that produce talent. Uh, you know, it's it's not uh, not a place where you're going to be pretty and and be allowed to just cruise around on the court and get whatever shots you want, or whatever else. I, I think you need a little bit of an edge to you and. If he's able to bring that to Brown down the stretch, uh, that will be greatly to their benefit. Uh, you know, so they took with Cornell on Saturday at two. Um, and we also look at a team that that helped its postseason chances by finally winning on the road, and that's the Bryant men. Um, you know, who smoked Albany the other night, a, a great Danes team that's really struggling uh, toward the bottom of the America East. But Bryant needed to beat someone away from home, whether it was Albany or, or whoever. Uh, you know, because they have struggled uh, away from the Chase Center. Uh, you know, Sharif Gross-Bullock had 23 points and an 87-62 win. He had the first 12, started the game on a personal 12-0 run, um, you know, got some help from the rest of the starting lineup, four starters and double figures. The only guy who wasn't was Earl Timberlake. He had eight points, 12 rebounds, four assists. He certainly made his contribution in a different way. Um, you know, but guys, you know, just looking at Bryant and, and obviously – you know, they're toward the top of the league still. Um, America East, aside from Vermont, who's eight and two, you've got Bryant, UMass Lowell at seven and four, Binghamton at six and four, UMBC, who hosts the Bulldogs this weekend, six and five, New Hampshire, six and five. So that's a mash 
for the, for a top four seed. Um, you know, you you really need that first game at home, that quarterfinal game. I can't imagine many teams have won that tournament by winning three games on the road. I think that's really difficult to do. Um, you know, so Bryant, if they're able to separate a little bit here and potentially play themselves onto the two line, get two games at home in the conference tournament, that'd be a huge difference compared to you know, finishing third, fourth, fifth, wherever they may be. And that's going to require some road wins. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, to see them do it right away the other night, too, was impressive. It was just one of those. They came in with the mindset like <laughs> nobody's stopping us tonight. And having a, a healthy Sharif Gross Bullock back, who seemed to be at full health, is obviously a very helpful thing um, because he can really be your, your lead guy in terms of scoring. The guy that I've been really impressed with, guys, um, recently, the last couple weeks, who I think is really, I don't know if he's just more comfortable. I don't know what it is, but you mentioned him, Bill. It's Earl Timberlake. I just think Earl at times has been pushed by the coaching staff. You know, Jared Grosso said as much with the UNH game. He said, you know, at halftime, Earl didn't have a, you know, an, a great first half. And at halftime, he said, you know, you, you should, you should assert yourself. You know, you, you should, you should be the most physical guy on the floor. And he came out in that second half and literally took over the game. And we've heard so much about Earl as a, as a talent. Um, you know, we've seen it at times this season, but the last like three games, you know, I, I think he's really asserted himself consistently, you know, as a, as a guy that's going to contribute in a big way for this team. So um, I've been really impressed with him, you know, cause I, I expect Sharif Gross Bullock at, at full health to do what he did. You know, I expect Charles pride to do what he does. We've seen it so much with him. You know, I think Antoine Walker has obviously had his performances. He had the highlight play the other night. But Timberlake, to me, guys, you know, if he's going to consistently do what he's doing right now, and it doesn't have to be the points, like you said, Bill, eight points, 12 rebounds, like it's the boards and asserting yourself in the paint. Yeah, that's that's going to make a huge difference for this team. Yeah, I mean, when he, when he plays that point forward position, and sometimes they space it out, you know, his, his body in that league, uh, you rarely get – guys like that you know okay sure top 40 top 50 player coming out of high school you know had been around the block in the power five programs in miami and memphis but it's it's all about you know can he can he reach that ceiling here and, and it really seems like you know now that he's been playing for a few months of games you know in, in jared's system um that that he's she's taking off um the one other thing i wanted to mention about brian talk about the guys he's been impressed with Floyd. Timberlake certainly has been impressive. I, I see it as Charles Pride's ability to it's not take a lesser role and it's not take the number two role, but it's, you know, sometimes defer to Sharif Gross Bullock. And that is such an underrated skill that great teams have in guys, similar to Jared Bynum coming off the bench in his last year of Providence, right? being willing to, to be the sixth man. Charles Pride could have easily come back this year and walked around campus and walked around that locker room and been like, I'm the man. I took this bro I helped take this program to its first Division One NCAA tournament. I was one of the leading scorers for the program. When KISS was out last year, I went off for 44. I was national player of the week. You know, he had so many he had, he had the ability if he wanted to to just go around and pump his chest up. But that's not the type of player he is. Grosso brings in other guys into the fold that are just as talented as him. 
and he's completely fine with playing a secondary role. And it it takes the right mind to have that have that out on the floor um, and continue to have the program go in the right direction. So um, I think he deserves a big kudos uh, just from a maturity standpoint, um, from an intellectual standpoint, and from just a, a leadership standpoint of. You know, if he needs to score, he can score 20, 25 a game if, if he really wants to go out and get his. And when Bryant needs him, he usually delivers. Uh, but for him to um, also, you know, get Gross Bullock involved and get Walker involved and get Timberlake, all new guys to the program, um, you know, and, and make sure that they're comfortable just as much. And it speaks a lot to his character and speaks a lot to what the coaching staff has, uh, has done with him. It's a great point. His unselfishness, his lack of ego, uh, has has made this work. Um, you know, because if if he is, if he's a more selfish guy, uh, you know, a, a little bit more, um, you know, a little bit more seeking the spotlight, he he would have every right to walk around and say, "Why am I giving up shots to Sharif Cross Bullock? He just got here. Why am I giving up shots to Earl Timberlake and Antoine Walker? Who who are they? You know, I was one of your first recruits, Jared. I I helped. I helped put you in the NCAA tournament. I helped get you that contract extension. And now you're going to take away shots from me? You know, no way. I'm I'm going to blow this whole thing up from the inside. I'm going to be cancer in the locker room. I'm going to make it uncomfortable for everybody else, including you. And then I'm going to transfer after this year and get out of here and go somewhere else where I can be the guy and, and be appreciated. Um, but that's, I think, it's a great credit to Charles, I think, from the standpoint that that's just not who he is as a person. And that's not the person Jared Grasso recruited. And I think a lot of times, you know, when we hear coaches talk about trying to bring in players and evaluating them from a skill set perspective, they're also evaluating their their character and whether or not they're going to be coachable, whether or not they can be a good teammate, good citizen on campus, um, you know, guy who people want to play with or or a woman people want to play with and want to be around. That that's so important for a good team. And, and I think. You know, Bryant has one there in, in Charles Pride for sure. Um, you know, sort of tone setting guy, a leader uh, in his own way. You know, not necessarily the, the most outgoing or outspoken, but his example is, is a terrific one. Um, you know, the fact that he's willing to to stand up and take the questions for his teammates and, you know, speak when they're having a tough time. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm very impressed with with his career arc to this point. And, and I think this is just another another level of growth that that he's unlocked here the the unselfishness piece i, I think it's you know it really sets a, a good tone for the rest of the program yeah i i i would agree and you know you you're saying that and i'm thinking of another guy that i think would have every right to sort of like you know pump himself up for this having the spotlight last year and i think he's you know really bought into the culture always walks in with a smile on his face always has a great attitude and that's Doug Eddard. You know, think about the run that he went on in the NCAAs last year with St. Peter's and top of the world. And everybody's talking about Doug and the stash and all of that. And, you know, he comes into this program and he's fully bought in. He's a kid that every time he sees all of us hanging around, whatever he says, hello, comes over, you know, like he just he's bought into. And again, we talked about it. Culture, 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 culture with all these programs and guys were. You know, we're saying that over and over again, but, you know, we're seeing that with with all of these teams and it's why they're in the mix here. It's why in February we're talking about them, you know, potentially, you know, reaching their goals. And 
Um, you know, but it, it does start with Charles because Charles is the guy that was around this particular program last year when it got to the new heights. And, you know, I still say too, you know, if there's a, there's a close game in March in the America East tournament, you want somebody to take the last shot. Well, Charles pride to probably take the last shot, right? There's a lot of guys in this team that could do it, but you feel great about it. Wouldn't you, you know, it doesn't, doesn't matter what role he's playing. I, I would want Charles pride to have the ball in his hand. Cause you know, he's a guy that you you trust, and you know the coaching staff probably feels that that way too. Yeah, where have we seen that before, right? At the foul line in a conference tournament, you know, setting, semifinal. Oh, wait, just saw it last year when he hit him against Mount St. Mary's to uh, avenge the previous year's championship loss and uh, push his team into the championship. So now he's got he's got he's got that clutch gene as well in the floor. Uh, gentlemen, I, I think um you know, I'd look nationally otherwise, uh, you know, to wrap up the pod here. And I, I would uh, you know, take a look at what's going on you know, toward the top of college basketball. The fact that Purdue feels like number one, but how secure are they there? Uh, you know, we get teams battling for one seeds here, whether it's Houston or, um, you know, some others out of the Big 12. Uh, you know, look at some some coaching rants. If, if we want to touch on Jim Beheim for a few minutes, we, we could, as I see Maury just Maury's like, no, no, we don't want to do that. Uh, you know, but I, I, I think we're we're in a great time at this point. Um, you know, men's and women's game, UConn women losing back-to-back games for the first time in 30 years. I mean, that's that was pretty wild earlier this week. Um, yeah. Oh, no, back-to-back losses. Thir- oh, no. 30, 30 years? I know. I know it's amazing. They, it is amazing. Pl- they played almost eleven hundred games without losing consecutive games. It's amazing. It's amazing. I, I mean, that is just wild. Incredible. Wild. Yeah. We've had we've had some interesting things in sports this week happen. That's that's one of them. I mock it, but that's one of them. I say that just because it's like, wow, that is so so rare. We had the NBA's all time scoring record set. Like that lasted for thirty eight years. Like there's so many things. You know, uh, it, when that kind of thing, uh, yeah, you're right. You stop and you pause and you're like, wow, that's really, that's incredible. It is. It's incredible. You know, we got kind of a big football game coming up on Sunday uh, <laughs> that, that Maury may or may not be interested in a little bit, a little bit more than most. <laughs> yeah. What are the plans, Maury? Yeah. How are we feeling, Maury? Give us, give us a little Super Bowl breakdown here. Um, Almost too confident, I think, at this point, which is not good. <laughs> are you a boston of, sports fan or are you a philly sports fan yeah, right a lot of my a lot of my buddies from back home are putting the mortgage on the birds a oh. lot of them um, <laughs> i think there's definitely a, a way we win by 10 to 14 i think our defense is still underrated um but two weeks off for patrick mahomes i think his ankle is going to be pretty good uh, and Andy Reid's one of the best coaches off of a bye. When he's got more time, um, he is nearly unbeatable. So um, it's good. I just hope it's a really good game uh, on Sunday night. And, you know, I'm, I'm a big Andy Reid fan. Uh, I thought he got the short end of the stick in Philly. Uh, um, you know, obviously, he didn't win the big game, and that's understood. But um, I thought he's just – a great, great coach um, and deserves to be talked about in that top tier of coaches uh, more often than I think he gets credit for. Uh, he's broken through with the Chiefs, so if he wins, I think a part of me will be happy uh, for him, sort of like I was a couple of years ago, but 
Um, yeah, definitely, it's gonna it'll be tough at the at the expense of uh, my Eagles if it happens on Sunday. So I have the Eagles twenty six twenty three. Um, I'll definitely go over over the points in the first half, and the Eagles cover the one and a half point spread when it's all said and done. Oh, he's giving us a little uh, preview of Twin River action here. Perhaps mm. a short drive to uh, mm. to the RI Sportsbook. Perhaps mm-hmm. a little, a little bit. What uh, what are you doing for the game, Mori? You got big plans? I'm I'm working. Oh, really? I am working. Yeah, they're having us in because the game's on on our air, so they uh they want us in. So I'll be I'll be watching with Mike Shannon and Tony uh, in the office. But good juju because the last time I worked Super Bowl Sunday uh, in twenty eighteen when they beat the Pats. Uh, so I am one and zero when I work on the night that the Eagles are in the Super Bowl. So if that's what it takes to get a win, fine by me. It keeps you out of trouble. Keeps you out of trouble. Yeah. You get to focus, you know, all that. You can let out a yell in the newsroom. Nobody's going to knock you. I did the same. When the Red Sox won the World Series in 13, I had to work that night. And I was yelling and screaming in the office. And then I went out on the set and said the Red Sox won the World Series. And I was happy and giddy. And then I went out for like a beer afterwards and it was good. But it wasn't like me in 2007 when the Sox won then. And I was a freshman in college. And my mom's calling me frantically saying, where are you? Where are you? Meanwhile, I'm in a crowd of people near Fenway Park, high-fiving more people than I ever have in my life. And, <laughs> right. You know, so it keeps you out of trouble. That's that's a good thing, Maury. Sit back, enjoy it, and watch as the Eagles fly because they're going to win. I, yeah, I hope so. Mayor Smiley doesn't have to grease any poles in Providence because of <laughs> Yeah, no. No, he does not. Nor, nor does uh, the new police chief, who was named this morning. Uh, he he won't need to do that either in Providence. Uh, I, at at the risk of putting the jinx on here, Maury, uh, I also like the Eagles. Uh, so the the podcast is uh, going to go down in flames if Kansas City's able to win this one. But um, I think Philly is too good up front on both sides of the ball. Uh, I understand that you know Mahomes is probably going to be healthier and and. Normally, you'd want to go with the better quarterback in a game like this. Um, you know, big big NFL game of consequence. But I think Philly is better at other positions, particularly up front on the offensive and defensive lines. And I think that will be an issue for Kansas City. Um, you know, as they get into the second half of this game, I, I could see Philly wearing them down. Uh, you know, maybe a little bit with the run game and with the pass rush and. You know, if Mahomes is is even a little bit limited, um, you know that front group with the Eagles will be in his face and and putting pressure on him. And um, I think it would be difficult for for him to solve that to to elude it. Um, you know, so I I could see the Eagles winning a, a tight game. I don't necessarily see a lot of points in this game. I, I know it's two good offenses, but I don't know. I I just don't see like you know, 35, 31 or something like that. I, I think it'd be something in the twenties, you know, low twenties, uh, you know, like 23, 17, something along those lines, uh, you know, 23, 20, like somewhere in there. Um, you know, but I, I am with the birds, Maury. I'm, I'm with you. Uh, I, I wish you the best, <laughs> uh, you know, thankfully, you know, not playing the Patriots this time. That was a, a tragedy for Coit and I, uh, watching that nonsense five years ago. 
but tragedy for you. Oh. Tragedy for you. Oh. I had I had green and white confetti falling on my face. I know. Gosh. Oh gosh. Oh, oh. God, you can sing it if you want, Maury. Fly Eagles fly. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Uh, and with that, we'll wrap up this edition of the pod. Uh, Maury, safe travels. Enjoy New York and the garden. Um, you know, we, Coit and I, will be joining you about a month from now when the Friars head down uh, to play in the Big East tournament. Um, you know, and the fact that it's only a month away just reminds us that that we are in one of the best times of the sports season. Uh, yes. It's a great feeling to, to be here at this point. Um, so, gentlemen, thank you, as always. Uh, and for all our listeners, thank you very much.